you just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Yeah, you know, right now uh, we have the atmosphere of a, of a JC softball game. You know, I mean, that's what we are, a JC softball team. As long as, you know... Uh, it's 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 not whether you win or lose. It's like who, the, the the team that wins is the one that has the most fun. You know that crap like that. You know all this stuff that's contaminated America, where they give every kid a trophy and they don't keep scoring little league anymore. As we want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> excited about second. From now on, it's first, okay? All I want to do is fucking eat! I want you to eat! I want you to eat! I want you to want this shit! Do you want it? Do you want it? Show me! Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? Hey, babe, what's going on? Hey, I gotta be honest with you, Shane. I'm going off about three hours of sleep, so oh. hopefully I don't get too loopy on this show, but uh, how you doing, brother? <laughs> doing good. You weren't down there in Mardi Gras, my brother, were you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wish I was. I'm snowed in up here in Nashville, but uh, hey, it doesn't matter how many hours of sleep we get this is the only day we could record this week so we're we're doing it we're doing it for the people shane wanted to give you (laughs) one solid show uh obviously a slow time on the sec calendar but we still got some cool stuff to talk about yeah baby it's still it's list season baby there's always something to talk about oh and we got a list for you coming up at the end of the show but before we get to that shane big kind of the big news here of the week in college football we'll hit on this before we go around the league but NCAA, it's not official yet. I want to make that clear. This is not yet official, but it certainly sounds like it's going in this direction because the Big Ten and the ACC have come out and said they support NCAA transfers one time, allowing all athletes in football and basketball the ability to transfer one time to another school without having to sit out the season Thoughts on that, Shane? Do you like this? Do you not like it? Um, this could be, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of people support it, and a lot of people, too, are kind of turned off by the fact that uh, we could get a, a little bit of a free agency here in college football. Okay, now, is this, let me ask you, because, I, again, I've been kind of off the grid here. Is this a one-time deal, or is this an uh, an annual event? Yeah, so, the, like I said, it's not yet passed, but the way they're going to kind of go forward with it, this will be a one-time thing only. So if someone tries to transfer again, I do believe they're going to make it to where you, without a doubt, no waiver, you got to sit out no matter what, unless, and I don't even really want to speculate because I'm not seeing it this far, but I think it would maybe 
maybe you would be able to still transfer and not sit out if you're a graduate down the line. I, that I do not know. So I, again, I don't want to speculate on that. But yeah, this was just a one-time thing. So it's not like you can go from school to school to school your entire career, if that makes sense. Uh, that being said, Mike, I do not like it. I, I, I'm not a fan of it. And the reason is I, I'm always afraid of the super team, you know, and a lot mm-hmm. of people say Bama's got that, Georgia's got that, Clemson's got that, LSU's got that. Uh, you know, you could go on there. Yeah, there are some great teams out there, but you're talking about like th- this could create an absolute monster. I mean, you know, if you open it up and they just so happen to get the elite of elite of every position to one team and create a super team, then how fun is college football? You know, it's like Mm -hmm. we're already chasing one or two teams now, but it does rotate, you know? Um, So I don't like that. Plus if you do it once, it's like Pandora's box. What happens five years down the road when a kid can't get transferred somewhere where he doesn't get immediate immediate eligibility? It just seems to me like you're opening yourself up for a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. Now, I should note uh, that the NCAA has announced there will be some restrictions still. And I think uh, the key one for me is the school that the player is already at has got to release the player from his scholarship so I think that's an important one because you know let's just throw out this example you know let's say a kid from Tennessee starting quarterback gonna be I don't know let's just say he's gonna go into his junior or senior season what have you but Alabama's got you know the perfect team but they don't have a quarterback Mm -hmm. and this kid wants to jump from a bad Tennessee team to you know, an Alabama team projected to win the SEC, but they don't have a quarterback. I would imagine in a scenario like that, Tennessee would not grant the waiver. Now, I don't know. <laughs> Wait a minute. If if Bama wants Garantano, you know, I may be able to let that one slide, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just throwing out a hypothetical because, again, I'm not sure how this works out, but that is clearly stated by the NCAA. The former school has got to grant the release and I wouldn't imagine this is going to be a thing where, you know, all the schools are just going to refuse the release because they're going to be wanting guys of their own. So yeah. I would imagine it's only going to be in cer- certain circumstances. Um, and they also clearly state you cannot transfer, use this one-time transfer if you're suspended. So it's not like a player can go to one school he does something terrible or, you know, he gets suspended for the year and says, well, the hell with this, I'll just transfer to, you know, the division rival. You can't do it in that scenario either. And you also got to be in good academic standing. So you can't just, you know, arrive to school, not do any of your academics, play for a season and say, you know, to hell with this, I'm going to screw up your APR and I'm going to go to this other school. You can't do that either. So there, there will be some stipulations, but – uh, yeah, for the most part, it seems like this is going to pass, and those are the the only restrictions that are going to be in place. Well, what if it's like a I'm, – I'm just asking, what if it's not an NCAA violation, but it's actual just a school like, you know, let's just use a – Auburn mm-hmm. has a kid, and he's violated team policy. It's not NCAA violation. He's just he, – he can't play for three games. And then he says, you know what the hell with this? I'm going to go – 
Clemson. So he goes to Clemson. Would he be able to play, or because he was in trouble for that school, would that would he be cleared up? Yeah, I think in that situation he would not be cleared to go because he'd be suspended at the school. So it's not necessarily okay. an NCAA violation, but a team school by school violation. And mm-hmm. it certainly sounds like, you know, they're not going to. I would imagine they're not going to allow this during the season. So, you know, you can't play the first two weeks for Kentucky and then transfer to Tennessee for the third week. You know what I mean? Like there's got to be a cutoff here, I would imagine. I've not heard anything about it, but I I have to assume that that is also going to be the case. Why now? Why why is this a a thing in 2020 that we're saying, okay, this is the year that we're going to let everybody do a one-time deal? I mean, what makes this different than five years from now when we got all new players? I think the difference now is just the growing number of transfers and everyone's trying to apply for these waivers. And from what I understand, the NCAA is just completely like log jammed with waiver requests. That's why these things take six, nine, 10, 12 months. And it seems like the only ones that are getting them are ones that have lawyers that are threatening to sue the NCAA. So you know, if they, they've got hundreds of lawyers coming at them, they got all these issues. And I think what they're really hoping is if they pass this, you know, this will put an end to the waiver process for the most part, because we're talking hundreds of waivers that they got to deal through. And each one's unique. And each one is done by the school. And I don't know, I, I just think it's a damn mess right now. And they're trying to clear all this up. And yeah, but I, I guess, you know, it just seems like each passing year they're trying to give these kids more and more power and i think they're they're kind of doing it because you'll just look around and you you see what the coaches are getting paid you're seeing what these conferences are making from the tv money it just seems kind of crazy that you know here in about two years sec teams are going to be making 70 million dollars per season for the tv contract and yet they're telling these kids you know you can't. You got to sit out if you don't want to play for us anymore. Yeah, but I I think that's a temporary fix, man. That's like you ever seen them cartoons where they chew up a piece of gum and there's a there's a hole in the dam and they stick it in there and <laughs> it works for a minute and it starts blowing. You know, it's like yes, a a clean a clean slate. Let everybody go may may help you now, but next year you're still going to have to deal with kids that that may be butt hurt that they're not getting a play right. uh, that their parents are upset that they're not getting the opportunity as promised or as the coach promised them that, you know, that recruited them or right. maybe that coach left. I mean, there's so many different reasons these kids are in the portal now and yeah, you may do a hard reset, but you're still going to have the same problem moving forward. So I think if you open up something or even entertain the idea I, I think you're going to have to change the system altogether because one time's not going to fix it all. Well, I think you just hit the nail on the head, Shay. The, the damn NCAA is they're about as the same as damn Looney Tunes. And, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a backwards-ass organization. It doesn't know what the hell they're doing. It's about the only way you can put it, you know? That's <laughs> it, man. <laughs> all right, Shane. So I'm sure we'll talk about this more once it, uh, you know, if, it, if and when this comes about. But – we actually got some real SEC news because Whoa. the conference has announced the lineup, Shane, for SEC Media Days. Yes, sir. 
So in case you've forgotten, the upcoming SEC Media Days, it's they've moved it once again. It's not in Hoover, Alabama this year. It's going to be in Atlanta. They did this two years ago at the uh, College Football Hall of Fame. And on Thursday here, the SEC announced the lineup. So we're just going to break this down. It's four days, July 13th through July 16th, Monday through Thursday. We're going to break this down day by day. And then I just want to get your thoughts on each day, which uh, which day you think would be the best, which you know, okay. coaches you're most looking forward to. And obviously we'll start with Monday, July 13th. we got three coaches, Dan Mullen, Ed Orgeron, and Eli Drinkowitz from Missouri, the new Missouri coach. So mm-hmm. Florida, LSU, Missouri, first day. On a scale of 1 to 10, how excited would you be for Monday, knowing we got Coach O, Dan Mullen, you know, they don't. I don't think they could care for each other too much. And then <laughs> here you got uh, the new coach Drinkwitz. Yeah, Drinkwitz. He he just got thrown in there. You know, it's like, <laughs> hey, we're gonna give you A and B, but you got to take C. You know. <laughs> now I think I think this is a great lineup, but I think it would have been better last year. You know, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm all for it. You got the reigning national champ coach coming back. You got Dan up and coming that wants to be a real contender in the SEC this year. Uh, plus, he's got tons of sound bites, so I, I like this lineup, man. And right out of the gate, man, Coach O, right in your face. This mm-hmm. is this is what we need down there. I can't wait to see what shoes Dan Mullen's got this year. <laughs> oh yeah, go see him. Jordan's everywhere, baby. All right, Tuesday, July fourteenth. Here's a good one: Kirby Smart, mm-hmm. Mark Stoops, Lane Kiffin, and the underrated at SEC Media Days, Derek Mason. So Georgia, Kentucky, Ole Miss, and Vanderbilt on Tuesday. Thoughts on this one? Oh, I like it because this one, there's a lot of questions circling around. You know, we don't even know who the hell Vanderbilt's going to have at quarterback, you know, mm-hmm. or even who's there, you know. <laughs> so I, I don't know if he's going to show up a day early for this one, but, uh, <laughs> you know, Coach Mason going to be down there doing – Mason's always great behind the loudspeaker. I don't know if you've ever listened to him talk, but he he, he says the right things. And, uh, you know, but the real questions everybody wants to know is, is this the year, Kirby? You know, is this mm-hmm. the year that that Georgia takes that step that they are a, a true national contender? Um, and, and we've talked about it in the off season that the seat's a little bit warmer down there in Georgia. I don't, he's not on the hot on the hot seat by no means, but uh, this is definitely the season that some questions got. To, and of course, Lane, everybody's going to want to see the you know fresh water down there. So I think this is a <laughs> I think this is a good one, man. Who am I missing? There's another one there. Yeah, Mark Stoops. Oh, and, Stoops. Yeah. You know, it's going to be the same as always. Kentucky's going to get picked. You know, yeah. fourth, fifth, sixth. Uh-huh. Hell, some people, somebody dumb enough will have them seventh in the East and. They'll play the disrespect card, and uh, I mean they—they they even have an edge at SEC Media Days. So uh, Mark Stoops, I think I—I uh, I think he'll have an edge, and I think he'll be pretty entertaining. Oh yeah, I'd like to find out what hotel bar he's hanging out that night. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet he'd be fun to hang out with. All right, the third day, Shane. This is going to be the big one here. Wednesday, July fifteenth, we got Nick Saban, we got Sam Pittman. Jeremy Pruitt and Mike Leach. Oh, God. I mean, some heavy they, hitters right there, isn't it? You selling tickets that day, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that would be awesome. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, of course, you know, Sam's really growing on a lot of people. They're hearing about, you know, and everybody's going to need 
I mean, you you got to think about it, though. Sam talks a little slow. Coach Pruitt talks slow. Saban talks slow. You know, and then you've got Mike Leach, the wild card. So this is going to be a, this is going to be eventful. You're going to get you you you're going to be bored at times. I ain't going to lie because they're you know Saban's done this a million times. He ain't going to tell you exactly what you want to hear, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I don't know, man. I hope Leach is last. I think they'll probably save Saban still, but uh, did, is this the actual the rotation? Well, no, they will announce that at a later date, okay. the actual time. But, you know, I got to be honest. I'll give the uh, listeners that, uh, you know, anyone that's not been to this event, you know, yeah. like I said, it's in Hoover, typically. Alabama's the big draw. They They always have the most fans there. There's always the most hype. And questions for Nick Saban. Mm-hmm. But I think this is going to be the year that streak comes to an end, Shane. There with Mike Leach. I think he's going to have a hell of a lot more microphones in front of his face, making his SEC debut. And hell, uh, Papa Saban, he might be just kind of happy to <laughs> have a, l- a few less microphones to deal with this year. That's right. He ain't got to talk to Paul near as long, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, these four walk into a ring. Who you got walking out? Ooh, I think I'd probably go with, uh, I know he's getting up there a little bit in age, but I'd probably go with Sam Pittman. Mm, Sam's tough, man. Been playing in them trenches. And I've uh, seen, I don't know if you've seen the recent pictures of Pruitt, Shane. It looks like he's packed on about, I don't know, say about 100 pounds since he took that job. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I'm just putting a little weight behind that punch. I like that. <laughs> now, if they could bring one weapon in, you'd definitely say Leach, right? Because he'd probably bring something dangerous. <laughs> All right, last day here, Shane. Even this one is going to be pretty solid. Thursday, July 16th, Gus Malzahn, Will Muschamp, and old fast-talking Jimbo Fisher. Golly, that is a lot of Southern draw, huh? And then you got <laughs> fast-talking Jimbo. I think that'd be a good one. Man, there's just – this is I, – I usually – like media days are good. Don't get me wrong, because it makes me feel good. College football is about to crank up, but man, this lineup. I may just come down there with you, Mike. Can I ask questions? Can you get me one of them badges? Oh, absolutely. We're gonna work it. We're gonna work on it. Try to get you access this year, Shane. I mean, we gotta we gotta get cousin Shane talking to Mike Leach, right. and just who knows yeah, what will happen on if that if make that happen. And I will find that hotel bar, buddy. <laughs> All right, Shane, you ready to go around the league? Let's do it. Now let's go around the league. My my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So uh, (laughs) I'm going to wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up, and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why, why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. Right, we'll play anybody you can get to play us. In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey guys, hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. All right, Chad, we got to start here in Lexington. Where, like I said, we didn't have a ton of SEC news in the last week, but the biggest thing we did have, old Vince Morrow got 
more attention. It seems like every damn opening around the nation now, Vince Morrow's getting attached to it. I'm surprised he's not been rumored to be the next Colorado coach. Youngstown State tried to hire him. Michigan State tried to hire him. But Kentucky stepped up to the plate, mm-hmm. kept Vince Morrow from Michigan State, and Mel Tucker, who I did not realize apparently is very close with Vince Morrow, Kentucky's uh, tight ends coach, recruiting coordinator, associate head coach. He's probably got another title since he got this contract, Shane. But <laughs> what's it say about Kentucky that they can now go out and keep these key assistants from a school like Michigan State? Now, I know you on the face of it, you could say, well, Michigan State, why in the hell would he go there? But mm-hmm. I think because of the situation they're in, they're willing to overpay everybody. Hell, we just saw Mel Tucker's making $5.5 million a year now. He's Five and seven as a head coach. I mean, this is insane, the money that Michigan State is paying out. Apparently, they were prepared to make Vince Morrow the highest paid non-coordinator in the nation. He was set to make $600,000 at Kentucky next season. He's got a new contract. It's going to pay him $900,000 for the next through 2023, so for multiple years here. But, I mean, we keep saying it. I know a lot... Obviously, our Kentucky audience is not sleeping on the Wildcats, but it seems like a lot of the SEC continues to do so. But, hell, Kentucky's making just as, you know, the investments necessary to keep their football program on the way up, trending in the right direction. And um, I don't know. I'm just uh, I'm very impressed that Kentucky continues to just make these moves. It just seems like on an annual basis. It's about time. You know, it's just – Kentucky's been at basketball school for so damn long, you know. It's just you're seeing moves like this. It's they're finally. It shows me that they're 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 still making commitment to that football program. You know, this is a an ace recruiter. This is you know Kentucky's not that stepping stool anymore. You know, a lot of times you get a coach in there, assistant, and then he's off to bigger, better things. You know, and if you're able to keep your staff intact. Going into next season, I, I, I think that speaks volume to the way this program's moving. So, uh, and all that extra cheddar, man, I'm telling you, Morrow, can he can, how many bags of chili, <laughs> chili Fritos can he eat with that 300,000? You know what I'm saying? I mean, man, I love the hot team up there coming out. Just, you know, uh, this was, this was a big get for Kentucky. Yeah. And they're certainly not keeping it cheap here. They've, Give them, they're planning to give them all these bonuses too. I mean, if Kentucky makes a bowl game, which I believe they've done three years in a row now, he gets an automatic $75,000 bonus. I mean, hell, that's a, that's a lot of money to a lot of people. If they somehow make the SEC championship game, he gets another 112000 And if it was a damn dream season, they make the college football playoff, he, he gets another 150000 So, I mean, these are like, these are bonuses that you give head coaches and coordinators. And they're giving it to an assistant coach, a key recruiter, who Kentucky, uh, they just landed their third commitment of the uh, 2021 recruiting cycle. Every single one of them recruited to Kentucky by Vince Morrow from the state of Ohio. And that's something that uh, Coach Morrow discussed after signing this. I mean, this is just – here's the best example, Shane, of how it's a new day at Kentucky. After they locked – Coach Morrow up to this deal. They they held a damn press conference to announce that this guy's got a new contract. I mean, 
Since <laughs> when is Kentucky holding a press conference that hell we we've re-signed our tight ends coach and recruiting coordinator to a to a big time deal? But it's because football's a big deal in Lexington yeah. now, and they're stepping and Mark, up. Well, you had Mark tweeting out the picture of them drinking. You know, right. it's just like it's a celebration. <laughs> yeah. So this this presser must have been uh, after the damn hitting up the bar, but uh, let, let's kick it over to Vince Morrow, who, like I said, they held a press conference for him, and uh, you know he was very appreciative of the fact that Kentucky just continues to make these commitments to being a big-time winning program on the football field on uh, how tough this decision really was. I mean, it, he genuinely sounds like you know one day he was thinking he was going to go to Michigan State, the next day coming back, staying at Kentucky. Uh, on the recruiting battles that he anticipates against Michigan State in the state of Ohio. That, that's why they really wanted to hire this guy. They wanted to get into the state of Ohio where Coach Morrow's just been killing it for Kentucky and continues to do so. And then finally, yeah, kind of his best comments here on Mark Stoops, the message Kentucky's coach had for Coach Morrow and what he said to keep him. And it uh, sounds like he got his family involved to kind of jokingly threaten him a little bit here. It's a part of the investment that Kentucky's made in football the last few years is paying their assistant coaches. Just how big a deal is that building the programs to make sure they invest to keep guys like you around? I talked to a prominent, very one of the top coaches in college football last night, and he said, you know, he was said he was very uh, just watched us and said, you guys really got that thing going. And then for you know Kentucky to make the the investment, you know, to keep me here. He said, you guys are really going in the right direction. He said, uh, it says a lot about your administration. And uh, I, like I said, I want to thank them guys uh, for being supportive and stepping up to keep me here. Vince, how much did the fact that you've already invested so many years here play into the fact you're just now at that point where you might reap that as opposed to going and starting over maybe? Yeah, it was hard. Uh, you know, when you sit in a lot of living rooms with uh, parents, uh, sometimes I don't mean something to some coaches. To me, it, it really weighed heavy on me. Uh, you know, a lot of the guys I recruited, a lot of the guys were texting me, you know, just, you know, we say we're a family atmosphere here, and, and, and that did play a big part. And, and also this community played a big part. Uh, normally, I don't think guys really pay attention to that stuff, but it really was uh, the people in this community too. I mean, just the support. You know, I got to say, you know, Texting and DMing my daughter while she's in school, I thought that was a little crazy, but it, I just told her, I said, this is a fan base of what the fan base is, and it's, I really think this football fan base is really getting stronger. I really believe that. Vince, because of your relationship with Coach Tucker and that staff he's building there, what's it going to be like recruiting against them now as you're going for these same guys in Ohio? And are you going to use your choice as a pitch to these recruits? Too? Uh, once I decide to stay here, my message always go. I don't care who I'm recruiting against. It could be my brother. Uh, the, the message is, you know, we're going to keep our foot in Ohio and we're going we gonna to win there. I mean, I, I think it's probably a little more intense now because the way it, this thing played out. But it's, it's, to me, it's, it's just going to be a thing where we have to keep a really, really recruiting Ohio hard. I mean, a lot of people see the success we have and a lot of other schools. Just like I was at the high school clinic last week and a lot of more SEC schools were there because they saying, man, Kentucky really got players there. Well, we should get them too. And so we got to keep our footprint there. Yeah, Vince, how close are you with Mel Tucker and how hard was it to turn him down? It was very, very, very hard. We were very close. Uh, 
It was very hard. But I'm also close to, you know, the redhead guy, too, and we grew up together, and it was just hard. It's, it's, I can't put it no other way. It was, it was very hard. Uh, he, he, he really wanted me, and uh, they, they really, really made an effort, and it was just hard. Like I said, the last three days, I'm not, I mean, yeah, you get money and a raise, but I wouldn't wish that on nobody, it was, it was, especially when it's two friends. It's, it's, now I know how recruits feel when they're down to two schools and one, one day is this school, the next day is that school. Anything can trigger it. But I, I, I just got to say, the eight years spent here really invested and really meant something, and that, that really played a big part in our administration. I mean, I, I'm not just throwing that out. I mean, this is a good administration to work for. How much contact uh, did you have with, with Coach Stoops over these past few days, and, and just what was his message to you? <laughs> what was his message to me? Uh, that's probably something. I had to do a 30 for 30 on when coaches and about to leave, and, and you go through them conversations because they ain't always pretty. I mean, it's, they're tough. But I will say this. I am very close to him. I, I actually think <laughs> you take friendship for granted, both ways and there's no doubt in my mind that he's a real good friend first and we we he, he shared with me why he did not want to lose me and 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 it would have been hard to leave him too we we are we pretty close i mean it's not like that in a lot of in the coaching business it's all about business but where we from is a very smart small town and you know his uncle sent me a text that kind of like shifted the thing it was kind of like a mafia guy sending you a text like saying hey you better keep your butt there, and uh, it was. But it was all jokes. But I really uh, appreciated Uncle Bob, his 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 uh, dad's brother, sent me a real touching text. So, now nah, it's it's. I love Mark, but you know we still in a business. And uh, did our friendship play a big part in this? Yes, it did. Because anywhere else, for what Michigan State offered, I think uh, probably would have. A lot of other coaches would have took it, but. With my relationship with him, and like I say again, this is not a sell pitch. My relationship with the community really, really played a part in this and, and administration. I say, well, I don't really know the unknown up there, but I know what we have here, and, and I, I, I didn't want to leave it. So, All right, Shane. So Vince Maul pretty fired up to stay here at Kentucky, and uh, this is cannot be overstated how important this is for Mark Stoops. You know, it's not like uh, – you know, the program would have folded without him or anything, but you just can't lose your key recruiter, your key coach, especially to a program like Michigan State. I think that would kind of set you back if you're Kentucky, but this keeps them right on the right path, on the trajectory of keep climbing, climbing, climbing. And, uh, hell, I just think uh, this is just a, a yet another sign that uh, it's, it's a new day up there in Lexington. For sure, man. I mean, this is, like I said, this is a big win for Kentucky. It's a big win for their football program. And uh, I'm telling you, they're, this is uh, this is going to be a hell of a team, Mike. And, it, you know, when you're able to keep your staff together, you know, that continuity, that also helps these players have already bought into them. So that's why they're there. And, and now you get to coach them. So, like I said, just a big win for the Wildcats. All right, Shane, so let's jump on down to Tuscaloosa. Roll Tide! We got some coaching news here because Charlie Strong, a former (laughs) Texas coach and former South Florida coach, he's officially joined Nick Saban's Alabama staff as an analyst. 
Uh, there was a lot of speculation that Charlie Strong was going to join the Florida staff as an analyst, but here we go. We got uh, you know a former elite SEC defensive coordinator jumping in with Nick Saban, and there's even you know there's a lot of people unhappy with Alabama's defensive coordinator Pete Golding. A lot of people hoping though Charlie Strong steals his job away or something. But uh, thoughts on Nick Saban, you know, managing to get a guy that uh, you know his reputation's certainly taken a big hit here, but. You know, wasn't that long ago he was seen as one of the better coordinators in the SEC. <laughs> Did you see that pick going around we put up there? <laughs> I don't know if that's a doctored photo or not, but he's standing on a stool so that he can say something there at the press box. So, <laughs> um, you know, they made him look like he's five foot tall up there. And, of course, well, I had to run with it. And Saban finally has a coach he could see eye to eye with, Mike. <laughs> And you know who liked it the most? The Aggie fans. <laughs> oh, without they a doubt. Texas fans. So uh, this is a big get, I guess. You know, I, it's not going to cost him much to have him down there. And um, yeah, who knows? If it adds something, you know, that's what Saban always does. If it adds a little something, kind of like Belichick, you know, mm-hmm. if it adds a little something to the playbook or, or something to the recruiting trail, uh, it's an advantage. And if it doesn't work out, he ain't going to keep him around. So I, I think this is a big get for him. And who knows, get strong an opportunity. He, he may get sucked in and, and move up the ranks of the, uh, what is it called? What's, what Butch get? He got some new promotion down there. Oh, yeah, let's jump to that one. Because old Butch, Shane, after two years of being an intern, Alabama's <laughs> most famous intern there, Butch Jones, he has landed a promotion. He is the new special assistant to the head coach right wow. out of the Dwight Schrute playbook there. Assistant to the head coach. <laughs> I never – I mean, hell, they're making up titles for Butch Jones just to keep him around here. But I have, for the life of me, never heard of a off-the-field coach sticking around for three years that uh, formerly a head coach. and But they found a way to do it, Shane, so – Thoughts on Butch Jones becoming – he lands a promotion, but he's still still not on the full-time staff. No, no, he's still not that important. He's like the head butler now, you know. He helps him get <laughs> his clothes on in the morning and, you know, shoes shined up real nice. But, you know, the thing that pisses me off uh, about about deadbeat Jones here is, you know, he, he's his contract's up, man. One more year is all <laughs> we got to pay him. And I guarantee – and it's going to – Piss me off. But I guarantee that last check we sent, then Butch Jones will finally <laughs> find a job somewhere. You know, part of the contract was that he would actually go look for employment mm-hmm. of comparable status. I'm telling you, holding Saban's trousers is not comparable <laughs> to a head coaching job in the SEC, Mike. And it, it's it blows my mind that we have not sued him. So maybe maybe that's what we're doing. We'll wait till he you know collects that last check, and then we'll take him to court. But this this ugh, I, I just I'm over it. I'm over it big time. I'll tell you what, Shane. Those cabinets there in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> they're going to be filled to the brim of little Debbie cakes brick by brick. He's going to be putting them in there. I, I would imagine that's his, uh, you know, his chief responsibility that's down there right. in Tuscaloosa at the, at this moment. 
That's right. His saving makes him wear his little Fitbit, so his wife <laughs> thinks he's getting him steps in. It's just Butch walking around the field. <laughs> All right, last thing here with Alabama. So this this legitimately is big news because Steve Sarkeesian was rumored to be the front runner for the Colorado job. It's just wild how these, you know, coaching carousel continues to spin. Nick Saban helped Mel Tucker leave Colorado, land the Mississippi State head coaching position, and he damn near lost his offensive coordinator because of that. But Steve Sarkeesian has withdrawn his name from that search and I think that's the right thing for him to do at this point because it would have been so hard for Alabama you know we're just a couple weeks away from spring practice starting who are you going to get in here not that Steve Sarkeesian is the greatest offensive coordinator but I you know he's very solid and you're really going to bring in a guy of you know that has NFL experience head coaching experience has been on your staff it would it would have been very very difficult for Alabama to find someone with that resume at this point of the year so i think this works out for Steve Sarkeesian i think it works out for Alabama because if Alabama has another big year without Tua under center i think that would just make Sarkeesian stock rise and this you know maybe before this time next year, but during the next head coaching carousel type year, I think Sarkeesian has a real chance to land a head coaching job that's probably a little bit better than the Colorado job. Isn't it crazy? It's a Bama, Bama rehab facility there for, for head coaches that couldn't make it, you know, other than Butch Jones. But, you know, it's just that's that's what you're right. I think, I think maybe he was interested in position. And, of course, we weren't down there, but – you know, Saban says, hey, man, I gave you this opportunity. I'm the reason that you have uh, Colorado interested in you. You know, mm-hmm. stick around. We're going to do some good things this year, and I'll help you get a head coaching position next year. You know, that's tip. That's how I would imagine that conversation going, especially right here, like you said, in February. You don't want to lose your coordinator at this time. Yeah, absolutely. So I just think this is all around the right move, and uh, particularly because – not saying this kid's really going to be huge for next season, but their incoming freshman, uh, Bryce Young, you know, he committed to play in Steve Sarkeesian's offense. So, you know, there's a real chance that, uh, you know, if he's going to see the field, it's because he fits what Sarkeesian wants to run. So it just kind of would have been a nightmare scenario for him, too, if he didn't even get a single fall camp under the coach. You know what? For sure, man. All right, so let's jump next down to Fayetteville. Yes, where Arkansas just continues to load up, Shane, on these graduate transfers. And the latest one they've got, Clemson defensive lineman Xavier Kelly. Kelly was a guy that was kind of buried on the depth chart at Clemson. But, uh, you know, obviously we don't cover Clemson, so I would assume most fans are not familiar with this kid. But like I said, buried on the depth chart. But when he got to Clemson, he was a top 100 overall recruit, high school All-American, played in that uh, U.S. Army All-American game. And he didn't do you know a ton there at Clemson. I think he's only got about 30 career tackles. But he is a graduate transfer. And considering Arkansas's losses on the defensive line, I mean, there's a real chance that this Kelly kid, you know, I'm not trying to hype him up to be, you know, I think a lot of times we see this and we see, oh, top 100 kid. Maybe, maybe he can be awesome. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to put those expectations on him, but if nothing else, I mean, this is a quality athlete that Barry Odom's going to have heading into, 
uh, you know, the spring and summer here. And I just think, you know, what are, I really wanted to make that addition because we've seen what Arkansas is doing in high school recruiting. You know, they're doing very well with that. But this is the fifth graduate transfer that Arkansas has gotten just this offseason. They got a corner named uh, Jerry Jacobs from Arkansas State. They got a linebacker from Oklahoma, Levi Draper. We've talked about him. Starred on Oklahoma special teams, was in line to be a starting linebacker before he got hurt. So that's another key defender that uh, could start immediately for Arkansas. And then, of course, Felipe Franks, quarterback, A.J. Reed, the kicker from Duke. I just really think that Sam Pittman and his staff are doing you know, a tremendous job of not only getting a lot of good high school talent to come in, but they clearly understand they need veterans to come in there that can participate early if they're going to get this thing turned around. And, you know, it's not to say they're going to, you know, dominate the SEC next season, but you just you just can't all play freshmen. Otherwise, you're, just right. going, you're going to go 2-10 and 10 again. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's it. You don't want to drop off. You want improvement from last season, even though it wasn't your team. And uh, you do that by, by getting older players onto the team. And unlike, you know, if you remember when he – had that recruit recruiting class and he had some unused scholarships that, that, you know, he said, I'm not, I'm not just going to give them out so that we have a full class, you know, he's going to be picky. He's going to be choosy. And, and that's the benefit of the transfer portal is that you can, you know, if you don't want the kid, you don't get him. If you, if you want and obviously he wants that size. He wants that depth on defense. He gets them. So um, this is, this is a calculated move and you like that because with that portal, what it does offer is the ability to fix holes, and that's what Sam's trying to do right now. Mm-hmm. And last thing here on the Razorbacks is kind of interesting. Uh, Josh Oglesby, who was not on the team, he was enrolled at Arkansas, but as an All-American track runner, apparently he's one of the fastest kids in school there at Arkansas. He was a, only a two-star running back in high school, but... Hell, anytime you can add elite speed like that, he has announced that he is joining the football program heading into spring. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got this new system. You got a offensive coordinator in Kendall Bryles who, you know, at previous stops at Baylor and FAU and FSU, you know, he just wants speed all over the field. Again, not saying this kid's going to be, you know, an elite player mm-hmm. for him immediately or anything, but hell, if you're Arkansas, the more speed you can get on the field, you're talking one of the all-American track runner here. I mean, I I just think that's another, you know, great little addition there. Yeah, but again, let's just don't get too excited because this <laughs> happens like every three years. You hear one guy, you know, he's breaking records and he's always oh, playing football now. <laughs> we had one up here. He he played basketball and he had one more eligibility. We're like, man, well, you know, lob it up in the end zone and we've never seen him again. <laughs> so, <laughs> I but one thing you can't coach Marcus speed. So. uh uh, and we're going to have a lot of speed on that team. So uh, a little extra can't hurt. You know, it's just I don't know how prepared he is for football. But, you know, if he if he shows something this spring, then coach will have him out there for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, Shane, let's jump on down to Columbia, South Carolina real quick. Uh, this has not been made official or anything, but according to the South Carolina official uh, spring depth chart, what have you, to carry on Joyner, the quarterback there. According to his bio, he has moved to a full-time receiver position heading into the spring football down there in Columbia. 
And the reason that uh, that is so noteworthy to me, obviously this has been a, you know, a, a rumored transition for some time. I mean, a lot of recruiting analysts thought Joyner should have been moved to receiver the day he arrived at South Carolina, but he's been very adamant, as has Will Muschamp during his time there, that you know he wanted an opportunity to play quarterback. They're going to give him the opportunity and. You know, he's seen the field plenty for South Carolina the past two years as a quarterback in a reserve role. But I would imagine Mike Bobo got down there, you know, started studying his film and said, you know, this kid, if he moves to receiver, he's got a real shot to play in the NFL at quarterback, probably not as much. Mm -hmm. And it, it also says to me that Bobo has probably evaluated the quarterbacks on the roster in addition to. You know, obviously the college, Colorado State graduate transfer that they got, Colin Hill. And he's probably happy with his depth at quarterback because otherwise you wouldn't be moving a quarterback to receiver. But mm-hmm. I think this is a chance where, you know, the Gamecocks really need some game breakers at receiver. And, hell, I, if Joyner is that guy, I mean, I, this could be a move that's great just for the team too. Yeah, well, just experience too. You know, Joiner played a little receiver last year, and mm-hmm. I mean, all oh, you got Sha Smith coming back. So, I mean, I think a little familiarity on the sideline, you know, would help Helensky and uh, and, and Joiner. That I think that's his. I think that's his niche, man. I mean, if 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 he's doing it now, that means Mike has already told him that he's better suited on, as a receiver, you know. So in Joiner's mind, maybe he's like, you know what? Multiple coordinators, head coach, they've all said the same thing. I want to play on the next level, and the best way of doing it is at receiver. So that's what you like. You don't you don't want your players double dip, especially at quarterback and receiver, because they're two totally different positions. Now he can focus his energy just as a receiver, and and uh, you know he had flashes last year because he's extremely, I mean he's extremely fast and athletic. Mm-hmm. All right, Shane. Last team I got to hit on here before we get to our list season here, <laughs> but the Gators, Shane. Let's jump on down to Gainesville. where Florida got, you know, a bit of good news here on the recruiting trail. Nothing uh, finalized by any means, but a five-star running back, Zach Evans, who, you know, rumored to be leaning towards Tennessee and Ole Miss. I know both those fan bases eager to see what Zach Evans decides to do. Zach Evans is going to make an official visit, his final official visit. He's going to take it to Florida. And uh, apparently his lead recruiter is uh, their new – Tight ends coach down there, Tim Brewster, the tight ends coach they just hired, lead recruiter for Zach Evans, and that's great news for the Gators because Tim Brewster, as we noted on the last show, when Dan Mullen hired him away from North Carolina, I mean, this is one of the best recruiters in the nation. He's got a track record of landing five-star running backs for Florida State. Now you got to figure, you know, Brewster's also had plenty of coaching experience in the state of Texas. So he probably is very familiar with Zach Evans program and the coaches down there. And I don't know if, if I'm a Gator fan, I'm all of a sudden I'm feeling really excited about my opportunity to land the highest rated running back on the hill. I think Zach Evans was the number one <laughs> running back in the class. Mike, have you ever seen uh, Brewster's millions? this is like brewster's thousands this is a sequel so what they did is they brought him in he says okay here's a hundred thousand dollars 
All right. We want Mr. Evans to play. So you cannot come back here with that hundred thousand dollars. If you, I'm just kidding. I'm not saying that that's going on NCAA, but this is one last push for one great player. And there's a lot of people that want him. A lot of people are hesitant to take him. So, we're going to see what happens. I mean, this this is a – I mean, they're going to probably write a book about this guy when they're done. Yeah, and this is a position of need. Uh, the Gators struck out in the last uh, recruiting class. Of course, they landed the uh, transfer from Miami, former five-star running back. But he's been banged up, had some injuries. So, uh, I mean, on multiple levels, this would be a huge addition for the Gators. But, of course, you know, long time to go before his a decision is made. I should have noted this – visit is not until March if I didn't say that already so we still have got some time and it's looking like Tennessee Florida and Ole Miss all in it to the end here with Zach Evans and potentially Oregon as well so I mean there's probably going to be about five or six more twists and turns in this recruitment but uh, that's just the latest I wanted to give you everybody all right Shane so on our last episode you know we talked about the best games of the first month of the season that went over really well and we got ourselves a little list to get to. <laughs> All right, Shane, we figured what better way to piss off about half the SEC <laughs> <laughs> than we're going to rate the quarterbacks for the 2020 season. And this was, I don't know about you, Shane, but this was very, very difficult for me to do because mm-hmm. we got a number of transfers in here. We got a number of guys that we've really not seen you know, a lot of film on. And uh, guys coming back from injury. And, hell, there's a team or two. We don't even know who the hell the quarterback's going to be. We had to kind of take a guess here. So we just listed out from 1 to 14. And I believe, Shane, the very you know top of our – well, I'm going in reverse order here. But the, uh, the guys at the back half on our list are the same. So let's just cover those real quick. We kind of both are kind of assuming that Danny Clark – He's going to start for Vanderbilt. Of course, he's mm-hmm. a former Kentucky quarterback, transferred to junior college. Now he's at Vanderbilt. We kind of went with him because they lost four quarterbacks this <laughs> offseason. They signed four more, a bunch of high school kids and the JUCO kids. So he's, he's got some SEC experience. So we don't even know if Danny Clark is going to start, but got to put him at number 14 till we really even know who the Vanderbilt quarterback is. I think we're both firm on that one. Mm-hmm. We both got number 13, Sean Robinson, the former TCU quarterback for Missouri. Again, the former staff at Missouri recruited this guy. I'm not even sure if he's going to be the starter, but he does have Power 5 experience. Wasn't overly impressive at TCU, so we kind of got to put him at 13 until we really see what we got in this kid. And this is the last one that we have in common here. Felipe Franks at number 12. You know, I think obviously a lot of Florida fans were very hyped on what this kid's potential and what he did his first year under Dan Mullen. But given the fact that, hell, even the outstanding year he had back in 2018, I mean, he lost the damn job, if you recall. Yeah. And Kyle Trask got hurt during, I think it was the bye week, and then they had to stick with Felipe Frank. So I don't know. I always go back to that with him because. He's got all the tools. I mean, he's got a huge arm. He's a very athletic guy, but he just has, he very rarely has put it all together. And it just, you know, going back and watching his film at Florida, it just always seemed like they were having a scheme around him. And it just, I give Dan Mullen a lot more credit 
then I give you know the success to Felipe Franks, and uh, you know I'm, I'm not trying to bash on him, but and then you compound that given the fact he's coming off a very serious leg injury, um, mm-hmm. I just can't put him any higher than number twelve until you know he kind of proves me wrong. Yeah, I'm kind of the same there, and you know I, I think there's going to be a lot less pressure over there in Arkansas than there was in Florida. I mean the expectations were extremely high, and and you know it's something we talked about maybe something was a little bit off with his psyche because the way coach just kind of put baby gloves around him, you know? So mm-hmm. I don't know this one, um, this one, we, I, I wouldn't blow my mind if he moves up the list quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got plenty of weapons there in Arkansas. He's got a ton of experience and, you know, like I said, but it also wouldn't surprise me at the end of the year, he's not the starting quarterback. So, you know, I, I'm just a big question mark with Franks right now. Mm-hmm. All right, so here's where we go in different directions here. I've got Terry Wilson, Kentucky quarterback, at number 11. He's not a bad player, and we've seen flashes of him be you know, outstanding. But at the same time, we've seen him get banged up, kind of struggle to finish the season. Obviously, his last season lost early uh, due to injury. And I'm not even sure that if Joey Gatewood is gains his immediate eligibility if he's going to be the starter. Now, I clearly would lean towards Terry Wilson being the starter. He knows mm-hmm. the system, knows his teammates a lot better. And like I said, I mean, hell, this is the quarterback that whipped Florida's ass, you know, and a, and yeah. a, a very good Florida team. So um, I'm not totally burying Terry Wilson, but again, similar to Felipe Franks, coming off an injury, he's been very inconsistent with his throwing and that's that was hell. That was with Benny Snell on his side. So, how does he do without that type of player? How does he do without Lynn Bowden? That's a huge question mark for me heading into next season. Uh, I had Terry hired, Mike. I had him at the five spot, and the reason is, you know, I think he's the second most dynamic quarterback in the SEC. Uh, very. I mean, a lot of people forget how electrifying he is with his legs. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we saw flashes like with the passing game and, uh, you know, something that Kentucky lacked last year was that dual threat. I mean, the, I, I expect this year to still be a little bit more run heavy like mm-hmm. it was last season. But now you've got that added factor of Terry throwing. And I just, I don't know, the system, the weapons he has around him, the fact the offensive line, most of them's coming back. I'm expecting big things with Terry this season. Okay. Yeah, a lot more than I am, but uh, yeah, maybe you'll be right there, Shane. All right, number 10 on my list here. Got to go with my guy, Heislinski, Ryan Heislinski from South <laughs> Carolina. I'm assuming he wins the job based on what we saw from his freshman season. Of course, we don't really know yet how he fits in the Mike Bobo system, whether he grasps it or not, but this kid's got so much potential, and it was kind of hard. It's really hard to rate him because I I think he could clearly be a lot higher than number 10 coming into this year, but he was just banged up basically the entire time last season when he was healthy. Hell, that's why I call him Heislinski because, you know, I, <laughs> first glance I saw in this kid, I said, hell, this he's probably going to win a Heisman. I mean, he looked that good, but it was so brief, and the competition was relatively weak there that it's uh, it's really hard for me to, to really give him a grade until we see him back to 100%, which, uh, you know, we're obviously hoping that next season that's what we get for the entire year for Ryan Helinski. 
Yeah, I got him a little higher than you do. I have him at the seventh spot, and uh, I think mainly because of injuries. Last year, he was extremely banged up. They asked a lot out of him. Now, granted, he started the season with a lot more weapons than he's going to have this season, but if you remember, they they fell off left and right, and it was all put on Ryan's shoulder, and to be banged up like he was, I think you were just asking way too much of a true freshman. I expect more of a running game this year. They got fantastic backs back there, and maybe with a little bit more balance, another year uh, of college workout, and now a quarterback coach that I think is one of the best in the in the country mm-hmm. with Mike Bobo. I think uh, Holinsky takes a huge step forward this year. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you who else you got going a huge step forward, Shane. <laughs> My number nine quarterback, Miles Brennan from LSU. And for me, you know, I certainly don't want to disrespect him or LSU fans by putting him at number nine. I'm sure they're getting angry the more I speak here, but just haven't seen enough from Miles Brennan. Of course, you know, we, there's been so much hype with him from Coach O in this offensive staff here at LSU that it really leads me to believe that uh, he is going to have a big year, but I just kind of need to see it before I can kind of give him that evaluation. I think the best thing that I can say about Miles Brennan at this point is the fact that LSU did not really add a, you know, a graduate transfer level quarterback this off season. I don't even know if they really uh, even attempted to do so. And it's that, states uh you know the confidence they have in miles brennan yeah and i think you know this was a true quarterback competition going into the football season last year you know with uh uh joe uh, mm-hmm. this one came down the wire if you remember and then joe took it and then obviously he turned out to be fantastic and and i don't think miles is as far back as people imagine uh he's he's a bigger guy he's taller you know he's 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 been running this system for a year now he's got the best receiver in the country coming back i think miles brennan I, I like I said, and I've been talking about it all season. I think he was the best backup in the SEC last year, and I think that's going to show this season uh, by not having as much as a drop off as people uh, people are imagining. And where you got him, Shane? I don't think you revealed oh, where oh, you got yeah. him. I got number two, man. I mean, I got him all the way up there, uh, right behind my number one spot. So, uh, but you know, I, I still think Miles is going to have to. He's going to have to have some growing. It's it's different when you're holding the clipboard and then when you're out there in death Valley, when the lights are on, you know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. I, you know, he's, he's an older kid. He's, he, I think he's not going to miss a beat here. And, um, and I think he's going to get thrown in the fire real quick with that Texas game, you know? Mm-hmm. All right, Shane, my number eight, this may surprise you. KJ Costello, Mississippi state. I just got done watching all the Stanford games that I could, uh, you know, not all of his games are available, but I watched about 22 of them at Stanford. And I got to say, I mean, this is going to be Mississippi State's best quarterback in terms of just arm talent that I've seen since Dak Prescott. And, he, you know, he flashed there at Stanford, particularly early in his career last season, got banged up, got a concussion in the first week of the season later hurt his thumb and you know he I think he only played five games last year so he's got a lot to prove this is a kid that could have went to the NFL 
before his junior season, came back to improve his stock, clearly didn't do that, but now he's going from a Stanford-based system that, like I said, I just watched all the games, and they were run heavy, you know, throw to the tight end. They didn't have hardly any athletes at receiver, and now he's going from an offense that is run, run, run to obviously they're going to throw it all over the damn field at Mississippi State, and I would not be shocked if this kid throws for over 4,000 yards next year in Mike Leach's system. I think he's got that kind of arm talent. I think the biggest question mark for me is just the receivers at Mississippi State. I don't know how good they're going to be or how well they have fit into the Mike Leach system, but if he can get that going, I think K.J. Costello is going to have a huge year for Mississippi State. So how many Stanford games did you watch? Uh, about 22. <laughs> Guess how many I watched. <laughs> I'm going to guess zero. <laughs> that's correct, Mike. And that's why I got him at the 11 spot. And not because I don't trust transfers, Mike, but, you know, history has not failed us. How many transfers have we had come into the SEC? It's turned out to be nothing. And I'm not saying KJ's not going to be the the trendsetter. It just typically seems like the, the ones that transfer that are more of a dual threat style, those are the ones that, that have the ability to, to mix things up with their new ball club. And KJ, yeah, he's he's in a new system. He's in a new town. I still do, I'm still not convinced that he's the, the starting quarterback. I know Leach likes him older kids and you know he kind of handpicked this guy, but I still think, you know, there's a lot of quarterback talent in the in that locker room now, so mm-hmm. um, th- that's why I'm not ready to pull the trigger on KJ. It's just honestly, I haven't done a lot of research. I haven't seen your article yet. I'm still waiting for that to hit the stand. So as soon as I watch that and uh, you've you've put all the clips on one little video, then I may I may make a better <laughs> uh, uh, judgment call on KJ. But like I said, I just. I don't know. I, I've seen these transfers come in, and I've seen them not work so many more times than than come in and be successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's only a couple of Joe Burrows out there, you know? I got you. All right, so this is probably going to be one of my biggest stunners here. I'm going to piss off uh, the entire Roll Tide Nation here. But Mac Jones, I got him down at number seven. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you why, Shane. I know he kind of, you know, he really lit it up at the tail end of last year. But if you go back, I mean, these were against some of the worst teams on their entire on the entire schedule there. Arkansas, I think it was Western Kentucky or some Western divisional school. I mean, he really blasted those teams. I thought he was, you know, very solid against Auburn. But at the same time, I mean, hell, he cost them the game with two pick sixes. So, yeah, I think Alabama – just their system, you know, nothing to take away from Tua because, hell, he's probably going to be a top five, top ten pick coming up here. But mm-hmm. he was just aided so much by these elite receivers all over the field. And I think that's the same thing with Mac Jones. I mean, there was just no containing these receivers. So I think that was a big part of why Mac Jones was putting up such ridiculous numbers last season. I don't think he's going to be able to do that with a receiving core that's still going to be outstanding, but it's just not going to stack up to what they had last year. And uh, I think people thinking that Mac Jones is, you know, the next quarterback in line there at Alabama, I think they're going to be really disappointed. I'm not not saying he's going to be a bust. Hell, I've got him number seven. I've, I've still got several quarterbacks below him, but 
I just, I'm not seeing it where these people have Mac Jones as one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. Yeah. And I'm, 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 I'm with them, Mike. I got them <laughs> at the three spot, man. <laughs> and it's, and, and maybe, you know, the thing with Mac Jones is, you know, he's, he is uber talented, you know, he was, he was highly recruited in high school. He's mm-hmm. not just some Joe Schmo, you know, uh, this is a kid I thought got better as the time went on. And, uh, you know, now he's got a full off season. He's, he's building, he's building the chemistry with the, I mean, he, they, you talk about weapons, man, Bama's loaded on the outside. And, uh, with those weapons, you're going to look at Mac Jones, like he's a better quarterback at the end season than he probably is. And that's just because when you have great receivers, it makes you a better quarterback. You know, they make bad passes look good, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, I think at the end of the season, we'll look back and say, you know what, this is why they're competing for a national championship because this is the style of offense that Saban ran several years ago. And, you know, I just think they take, I think Bama takes a step forward this year and it all starts with a, with a game manager like Mac Jones. Mm -hmm. All right. Number six on my list, Shane. Jerry Garantano, Tennessee, and, you know, you could put Garantano all over this list just kind of depending on what game you watch. I mean, at times he looks like one of the better quarterbacks. At times he looks like one of the worst. So that's kind of right why I got him right there, right number six. He's got so much experience. Can he carry the offense without, you know, so many talented receivers? I mean, hell, Tennessee's still going to have talented receivers, but not experienced receivers. So there's going to be a lot on Garantano's shoulders. Um, he's just far too inconsistent to put him any higher than number six. Could certainly understand if you put him below six, but that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it right there. Jared Garantano, number six. And you have him that high because why? Well, because at times he flashes this elite talent. I mean, he single-handedly beat him uh, or won Tennessee the Auburn game a couple years ago. Uh, There's been times where, you know, he really does showcase that talent. Uh, It seems like he's got to get benched before he gets it out. But (laughs) I don't know. I I think he's got it in him. I think he's had, you know, some serious, you know, psychological doubts, if you want to put it that way. And if he can just get over that, I think he can be a really solid quarterback. Oh, well, there's a reason no is the last two letters in his name, Mike, because he's not in my top five. <laughs> you know, I think, I think you're right. I think there was moments, trust me, there was some times I ate some humble pie last year and Garantano won a game for us and I could not believe it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he did it with probably one of our best receiving cores that we've had in a long time, you know, with Callaway and, Jawan Jennings. I mean, he, you know, he doesn't have those guys coming back, and that's what scares me. This, this is going, you know, he doesn't have those safety nets like he did last year that bailed him out. You mm-hmm. know, and you know, I don't care how nice of a bow you have, if you've got, you know, bent arrows, you ain't gonna shoot nothing. You know, so mm-hmm. I think when we get the season started. I, I guarantee Jarrett's going to be out there and there's going to be flashes just like we've had in the past, but we're all on pins and needles waiting for him to make a mistake. And then when he does, you know, I don't know if it's a psychological thing or, you know, if it's just, just, he doesn't have it. 
he's he's going to crumble, man. And then we're going to be begging for a backup again. And this is going to be a quarterback carousel yet again. I say that, Mike, to say this. When he is on, he is great. Okay? And that's coming from a Tennessee fan that's watched every single minute of Tennessee football last season. There is moments when Jarrett does flash and does look extremely impressive. Now, does he take that step forward this season? I still think that it's possible. I'm not ruling it out. And that's why I got him at the number 10 spot, not near as high as you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't have him at the bottom because he has shown the capability of making plays and being productive. However, in the back of your mind, in the back of my mind, I'm still waiting for him to mess up and I'm still waiting for the backup to come in. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move to the top five, Shane. Jamie Newman, the Wake Forest transfer, starting quarterback. Well, still not named starting quarterback, but assumed starting quarterback for Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know, we've kind of talked at this kid at length, and Georgia fans are probably going to be wondering why in the hell I got him at number five. And here he is, you know, favorite to win the Heisman out of the SEC. But we've kind of covered that. I think that's kind of ridiculous to put him up to that standard. But I expect him to have a really solid year for here for Georgia. I just, you know, based on what I've seen, he's not anything kind of elite. Like people that thinking they're getting Cam Newton, they're not quite getting that type of a player. But um, I think he's a very solid quarterback that they can win at a high level with. But I'm not necessarily blown away by what he brings to the offense. Seriously, I mean, nobody knew. I mean, you knew about Cam Newton the year he transferred out just because what he was doing at other schools. So mm-hmm. uh, you're not getting that. I didn't get that. I, this first time I heard about Jamie Newman's when I heard he he was he entered the portal and was thinking about going to the SEC. Mm-hmm. You know, so then I did my research. This kid's athletic. Don't get me wrong. He's. I think he's going to do a lot of great things down there in Georgia. But I, I can't commit to it i can't put him on top of a list i haven't seen him do it in sec play so i've got him at the nine spot Mm -hmm. all right number four shane i got bo nix from auburn and i know you know against some elite defenses struggled last year as a true freshman i think he was asked to do a little bit too much there for auburn but he started to really come on towards the end of the season but he had a really strong iron bowl and i just think with a second year coming into the system as a starting quarterback and not entirely the new, the same system because obviously they got Chad Morris at, uh, as the offensive coordinator. But I don't know. I just got a ton of faith in Bo Nix to improve, put in the work. I mean, this is a kid, you know, there's no chance he, start, he was going to be the starter as a true freshman if he doesn't have the work ethic. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just think uh, at times very inconsistent, of course, as a freshman. Now is his second season. Now he's going to develop into a leader of this team, and he's going to have to take some steps forward to kind of rise up in this list. But that's why I've got him at number four. Yeah, I'm with you. I've got him not too uh, too far from me. I got a six spot. I just think, you know, you look at a kid like Bo Nix, true freshman last year. Uh, you know, he gave him a hell, dude. Uh, he he about you know the LSU game. Obviously, they'd love to have the 
the the Florida game back, you know, if they could. But you know, he was a little rattled, and I think you're not. I don't. I think you're going to see less of that this season. You're going to see uh, a more polished quarterback, and uh, I, I think Bo takes a big step forward. I, it wouldn't surprise me if he's if he's top three at the end of the season. I mean, mm-hmm. the fact he was able to beat Bama, you know, is a is a huge. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, Shane, my number three on the list. This is probably going to be the biggest stunner to most people out there. John Rice Plumley. I've got him penciled in. Love this kid. I've been on record for saying that since, you know, all offseason basically. But this kid is just so dynamic with the ball in his hands. And, you know, I, I got to be honest, before I hopped on here, got on the phone with your brother. He was asking me, <laughs> why in the hell would I have John Rice Plumley this high on the list? And I'll tell you, Shane, because if you recall – I mean, this was a kid signed, or not signed, but committed to play for Georgia. They told him, hey, we're not signing a quarterback. We, can, we can't sign you at this time. Hold off. Or this is during the early signing period. And then, hell, at the 11th hour, they sign a, a quarterback. John Rice Plumley has to reopen his commitment, has to find the right school for him. And then remember, at SEC Media Day, Shane, what was it with Ole Miss? It was Matt Corral. And it was this big deal about how – Ole Miss is bringing a freshman quarterback. That's how impressed we are with Corral. I mean, it was he was the focal point of that offense. And then yeah. he struggled a little bit. They had to throw out this kid who a lot of – I mean, hell, Georgia won him as a safety. I mean, that's how raw this kid was. But just putting him out on the field, he was just so dynamic. I mean, we're talking national champions. He just tore them, you know, a, a yeah. new one. You know what I mean? Like this – I know he struggled as a passer, but I just think he was so raw. I don't think they really, you know, Rich Rodriguez, not exactly known for developing quarterbacks as passers, known more for running them and and getting the ground game going. And he did an outstanding job for that. But now he's going to be coached by Lane Kiffin, who everywhere that guy's been developing these quarterbacks. Hell, he took a running back at Alabama, won the SEC championship one year. (laughs) I think with Lane Kiffin in there, Year two in a college system, I just think this kid, the sky is the limit, and I've compared him to Michael Vick. I don't think that's crazy talk, to be honest with you. And I think by season's end, number three may not be high enough for John Rice Plumley. <laughs> Lane says baseball can't end quick enough down there in <laughs> Ole Miss. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I see what you're saying, and uh, I've got him at the eight spot mainly because of the arm. You know, Plumley when he hit the scene, he hit it running, dude, and did he ever. But if you notice, teams were starting to catch on a little bit more and more each week. So mm-hmm. I, I think the gig's up. The film is out. They know exactly what John is capable of. What he's not capable of is winning games with his arms. You know, even in the Egg Bowl, there was there was quarterback switching. So if he does take the step forward, which Lane's fully capable of, like you said, he turned a running back into a quarterback. If he could do that with John, absolutely. I can see this guy being all the way to the top, maybe even winning a Heisman. That's just how talented he is. But got to see it. Got to see it before. I, I I mean, we don't even know if he's going to get the starting gig, but, you know, he is going to be a huge part of that offense. All right, number two on the list, Shane. I got Kellen Bond, Texas A&M. And, you know, this is not a slight to Kellen Mond at all, but I think that kind of gives you an idea of just, you know, who we got coming back in the SEC at quarterback because normally – I don't think based on what Kellen Mond did last season, he would you know, be ranked this highly. But, 
Um, I know a lot of people are very critical of Kalamon, don't think he's a good quarterback. I'm not buying that. I think he's a very cut clutch player that his stats were not terrific last year, but I think that was all a part of what Texas A&M was asking of him. I mean, they kind of, uh, he was all about making the right checks, the ground game. And yes, he didn't take that step forward that a lot of people were saying, but that doesn't mean he's a terrible quarterback. I think he just had to more or less took what the defense gave him. They had one of the toughest schedules in the nation and they didn't match up against most of the elite defenses they played. That's, I mean, that's fair to say, but I, I think Kellen Mons can still have a, a very solid finish to his career and, Hell, he may be the SEC's best quarterback by season's end, and we all know what Jimbo Fisher, his strong track record with quarterbacks, and uh, maybe he finally gets that from Kellen Mond this year. Huh. Well, I've you know I've got Kellen at the four spot, so I'm not too far behind you here. But you know where I had him last year? No, at the four spot. I think he's <laughs> our, <laughs> and I just think he's hit the ceiling, man. I, I think we know what we're going to get with Kellen, and he's a good serviceable quarterback but he's not a great one you know it'd be one thing if you know he only had one year with Jimbo he's had multiple now and we're not seeing that that progression that I thought we would see and he has less weapons around him I mean it's a good young talented team don't get me wrong but I don't know you need Kellen to take that big step forward this summer and I I hope I hope that he does it, you know, because there's a lot of people that got this year circled down there in A&M that this is the, this is the season that, that they make some serious noise in the West. And if you think about it, if not now, then when, you know, so I don't know. It, it all starts with the quarterback play. It all starts with the coaching. I'm willing to, to say Kellen is one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC, but I'm not willing to say he's the best just yet. I want to see some progression that we've been promised, Mike. Mm-hmm. All right, last but not least, we got the same, once again, the, the bottom of the list and the top of the list. We got the same <laughs> Kyle Trask, Florida quarterback. And, you know, what a story this kid is going to be for those. Obviously, everybody at Florida and most people in the SEC know it, but I think this kid is going to be, you know, more and more a national storyline next season. You're going to you're going to hear it 10,000 times probably on ESPN and game day. This kid didn't even start in high school, yet here he is leading the Gators to a, you know, a top 10 start to the season and uh, you know, of course his first start came against Tennessee. <laughs> and he just tore them up. I mean, uh, coming off the field there against Kentucky, it looked like all the, you know, it was everything was stacked against the Gators, but hell, he looked like, uh, you know, an All-American in that game, and he, you know, he kind of kept waiting for that to disappear, and it never really did. So, yeah, uh, with a, you know, this will be the first, hell, the first time in his career essentially where he's in the offseason he's the starting quarterback so it's going to be really interesting to see the leaps that his game takes not only with the you know the full spring full training camp full summer but working with Dan Mullen working with they I know they lost some key receivers there at Florida but they're also returning some very talented receivers so it's not like the uh, empty cupboard there for the Gators so yeah, I just think he's just going to continue his trajectory upwards, and uh, I think he enters the season as the SEC's best quarterback, and I think he finishes as the SEC's best quarterback. 
Absolutely. And if all 14 of these guys got in a ring, I guarantee Trashy's walking out last because he is one tough boy. I mean, he took some damn hits last year. And you're, every, I'm watching, I'll be like, that Auburn game, I thought he was dead, you know? And mm-hmm. he just, he, he gets going. I mean, he he's tough as nails. And and what I like about it, what I don't like about it, because, again, it's the Gators. Let's don't get too carried away here, Shane. <laughs> but he's, it's like the moment's never too big for him. And, and what I mean by that, there were several times last year that I would see him get sacked or I'd see the, the pressure get dialed up. And it just seemed like, no matter how hard they were coming or how loud that that crowd was, he still got the ball out. He was still extremely extremely accurate. It's like it didn't phase him. And you know, you see a lot of quarterbacks like uh, we were talking about Bo Nix earlier. That you know, he at moments last year had trouble with that when the crowd noise got a little too too out there. He got a little too amped up. Uh, Kellen Mond in that Clemson game just throwing too high. He's just too you know. Trask doesn't do that. And it's it, He's, he is. I think he's just he's, um, he's an old soul, if you will. And uh, even though he hasn't got a lot of starting experience, it felt like he's been playing his whole life. So, um, yeah, number one, without a doubt, clear cut number one. Mm-hmm. All right, Shane. So that's going to do it for our the weekly edition of list season. Here we're in the off season, of course. So, SEC quarterback ratings. Let us know what you think about our thoughts on that one. Uh, but that's all I got on this one, Shane. We went a little bit long here. You got anything before we hop off here? Uh, no, a little long on this one. I do got some reviews, but we're going to try to get two shows out next week, Mike. And uh, I promise to get the reviews in there. Uh, we do appreciate everybody taking the opportunity to to give us a rating review on iTunes. Those, those five-star uh, they really do help us out. So if you if you've got an iPhone or uh, Apple device or anything, I can rate these bad boys. If you can get on there, and uh, you don't you don't have to leave a review, just a ghost review. Just put the five star heart. Uh, those really do help. And uh, but if you did read or write them, I promise to read them next week. <laughs> yes, sir, Shane. And believe it or not, next week Vanderbilt spring practice starts. So. I'm going to reach out to a buddy of mine, covers uh, Vanderbilt. I'm going to try to get him on the show to kind of give us his insight into what in the hell is going on there with the with the AD <laughs> leaving after a year and uh, what, yeah. what that means for Derek Mason and kind of preview Vanderbilt spring football before that gets kicked into high gear. So uh, we got some exciting stuff lined up for you uh, next week, of course, and uh yeah, hell, uh, spring football is almost here. I'm, I'm just getting excited just talking about it. It's just <laughs> practice, you know. I know, man. It's crazy. It's already here. See, you know, I've been, my, I've been trying to get into this XFL, Mike, but you know, I just, I, I wasn't. I needed a clean break, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a month. I'm ready for some more football. So, Vanderbilt spring game. Here we come, baby. <laughs> All right, so that's going to do it. Thanks for joining me as always, Shane. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We really do appreciate it. We'll catch you on the next one. All right, see you guys. Go balls.